Welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Winning, losing, and learning. Sometimes stories and examples and recounts of circumstances give human beings a unique opportunity to learn from our experiences. Then, if we're lucky, we can even pass on the learning so that others can gain insights from our conquests or learn from our mistakes to avoid making their own. It's Parkside Housing Projects in 1971. It's a cool, sunny, early spring morning in central New Jersey. Roger Bush Hamilton, 13 years old, is a muscular, confident-looking teenager in the 8th grade. He is waiting in the living room of his apartment for the school bus to arrive, and he is watching TV. The initial press conference for the fight of the century between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, the two most famous boxers in the world, is showing live on the TV screen. They're in New York City at Madison Square Garden. We see a huge shoulder-to-shoulder crowd of men, including Howard Cosell, standing in the background on screen. There's intense commotion and energy buzzing at the event. The intensity looks so thick you could cut it with a knife. At least ten microphones are posted on the table. Ali and Joe sit across from each other, passionately jawing. Beep. I want to make one prediction. I'm not calling around. I predict that when I meet Joe Frazier, this will be like a good amateur fighting a real professional. This yeah. will be like a kid out of the Olympics meeting the fastest heavyweight champion that ever lived. This will be no contest. This fight will be much easier. He will be easier to hit. He will not be as much trouble or as awkward as Oscar Bonavino. Joe Frazier. This will go down. I predict that the fans will be angry. They'll be mad at the uh, 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 critics. They'll be mad at the experts for misleading them so much. You this man time. will be completely out of box. You got time. You got time. This, this will you, be no look, contest. Look, That's look, all I want to say. All right. What do you no say, Joe? What do you say to that? I'd say he's nothing but a bunch of noise. That's all. He's going way back in the time of, uh, let's say, 20 years ago. You know what I mean? This is the day, man. You understand? I just want you not fighting glory. You not fighting. Fighting Oscar Bonavena, you're not fighting Sonny Liston, you fighting Joe Frazier. Well, everybody knows that. That's not the point. That's the point. Yo, what's what? your prediction? My prediction, the fight wouldn't go to distance. Oh, won't I'll go stop it. Distance. Stop me. You. How soon? What round? Look, don't, anyway, don't, don't let him obligate one you. One to ten, you be out there. I wasn't mentioning you. You will be out there. He got famous fellas boxers around him. Get ready, because here I come. All right, that's all I want to say. No no free fight talk. No and we, there's no amateur there right now. This is a professional fight. I want to say amateur you can commission here. Hold it, right. wait. One more thing. With the commissioner here and the whole world of authority, I beat Sonny Liston twice, and they wasn't convinced. We don't that they, they, it's all over. Let me finish. Now you ain't fighting Sonny Liston. No, you too fight to me. No, you, you listen. You listen now. Let me finish something. Look, listen to you. Look, I'm the champ. You, you ain't. You listen. listen. You're the champ. Right on. Now listen. That's all over. Sonny Liston is all over. Now you ain't the champ. Hey, you listen for me. Why now? Shut up. How you gonna do this? How you gonna do this? You the champ. You go fight more than 4,000 people live. What is this? More people in training than you have. Wait, what is this? 
what, that, what that have you to do? You ain't calling this world gate, man. Who, you ain't no bad. They, you, got, they think you can whoop me. Who got the top billing? They think you can whoop me. Who got the top billing? Wait till I get you in the ring. Wait. Get your hands off of me. The whole world recognizes me as a champ. The world. The people recognize me. You got You got one half of me. If Joe Frazier whoops me, I'm getting on my hands and my knees. I crawl across the ring. Look up to you. Say you have a chance. You have a chance. I'm trying to get you on the spot. If you think you're so and then I'm gonna crawl back. I'm gonna crawl back on four feet, and then I'm gonna tell and walk out of the ring. Say you that. Now, when I whoop you, the thing about it, see you might not be able to cross. I got you on the ground. Wait, man, you gotta put some hands on me. Listen to me, boy. Can we whoop you? When I whoop you, are you gonna crawl? Beep. Roger hears that his school bus has arrived, and he clicks the television off. He's already wearing his jacket and dashes out the front door from his family's ground-level corner apartment to get to school. He sees the other kids from the neighborhood boarding ahead of him. Roger walks with a distinctive swagger as he nears the bus. We can hear the noisy interior as all the kids seem to be talking at once. He climbs aboard. The woman bus driver in her 30s gives an unemotional nod to Roger and the others, then pulls the door mechanism closed. The engine roars as the crowded bus rolls away. Hit it.
cruising down the road, we still hear several conversations going on simultaneously, so we cannot make out the dialogue. Suddenly, we see the entire group of kids stop talking and look out the driver's side bus windows. Then, some of them stand and stretch their necks to see clearly. They notice the driver of a speeding hot rod Chevelle racing the school bus. It's a crazy morning event and they all start cheering and whooping it up. After taking a closer look, someone blurts out, That's Michael Bolton! Michael is a fellow 8th grader who is 14, going on 30, and making a new name for himself right then and there. The car he is driving is stolen, and he is driving like a maniac. The kids are all hysterical watching him. They scream and wave as he speeds past the bright yellow school bus. Shortly after Michael goes racing by, a police car comes crumbling after him and sirens blaring and lights flashing. The kids turn their heads forward to follow and both cars speed out of sight. The commotion settles a bit as the bus continues rolling along. Just as they round the bend ahead, they see the car Michael is driving in the distance. He screeches to a halt between two police cars on both sides of the road blocking him in and the speeding police car behind him gaining ground. The school bus crowd that was cheering loudly and supporting Michael grows uniquely quiet when they look ahead and see the police grab him forcefully, spin him around, handcuff him, and shove him in the back of their car. As they approach the grounds of Samson G. Smith's school, they are now whispering instead of yelling like before. As they approach the brand new school, which was built only six months earlier, the bus brakes squeak and the rolling motor coach stops in front of the sparkling new school. Their unemotional driver opens the door and the large crowd of kids pile out. The stolen car incident seems to blend into their morning like an intermittent fog that simply fades away as their day begins. Why is that? We watch the parade of energetic young black teenagers make their way across the sidewalk and through the large glass doors into the school's bustling hallway before class begins. You can't miss the colorful and prominent poster on the wall announcing the special event. Roger Bush against George Clark. Don't miss it. Wrestling finals. Who is the best? Roger stops quickly at his locker, hangs his jacket, then walks over to the entrance of his classroom, meandering before the bell rings. A group of fellow students are gathered, and suddenly, here comes 13-year-old George Clark, who is cocky, gregarious, fun-loving, and athletic. His nickname is Buggy. Don't ask me where he got that name from. Buggy is slightly taller than Roger, with round, smooth muscles. He has cocoa brown skin with a medium-sized afro. He is a pretty popular kid who never shuts up. Roger looks similar with more defined muscle and a perpetually stern countenance. Buggy is smiling big and acting out. So Bush, you ready for your whooping tonight? The crowd starts laughing and staring back and forth at the two strapping young men. Then, as if he's trying to imitate Muhammad Ali, Buggy blurts out his homemade rhyme. Bush says he's the best, but I know better. He can't pass my test. He can't even hold my sweater. The crowd responds, oh! Roger's frowning and smirking. Man, you better get out of my face. I'm going to kick your behind tonight. Rhyme that, chump. Ring! The school bell rings and the crowd disperses. The trash talking looks all in good fun. 
Buggy and Bush have the entire school anxiously awaiting their competition. They both have a great following and their friends are very supportive. This particular school day seems to fly by like a blur. When the final bell rings, many students stay at school for intramurals, tutoring, or waiting for the evening's big event. Samson G. Smith School Gymnasium. It's nighttime now. The lines of parents and students have filtered into what is now a packed gymnasium. You can hear the rumble of crowd noise and excitement. The referee and gym coaches from either side meet at the edge of the cushioned wrestling mat. Once their brief conversation ends, the lights suddenly dim and one bright light shines in the middle of the mat. It's go time. Roger and George bounce their way over from opposite sides out onto the middle of the mat. The luminous spotlight shines down on them at the center of the circle. The referee, who is about 25, greets the two young men wearing his firmly fitting striped shirt. Roger and George are wearing their SGS gym shorts as issued by the school and their own special tank top. Roger is wearing black knee pads. The referee offers the instructions in a quick speech. Gentlemen, welcome to the Samson G. Smith Final Wrestling Championship. In the semifinals and in the three rounds of eliminations, you two have dominated the rest of the field. The time is now to see who's the best. Make sure you obey my whistle at all times. When I, I say stop, you stop. You both know the rules, so let's have a clean match. Any questions? Both Roger and George shake their heads left and right. The audience is still buzzing. All right, men, the referee barks. Shake hands. The two boys grasp aggressively and step back. The referee blows his whistle. The crowd screams wildly, and the match begins. Roger rushes forward and grabs George by the shoulders. George sidesteps defensively and grabs Roger on an under-over arm lock. Roger slides down to George's chest, then his waist, to try and lift him, but George leans forward and keeps his feet moving to avoid the grasp. Roger moves his feet with him, and they shift to the edge of the mat. As the referee moves alongside, Roger pushes George hard and the referee blows the whistle loudly, then shakes his finger quickly. This represents a caution warning for Roger. George offers a frustration frown in reply, and the two head back to the center of the mat. The referee resets both wrestlers. He blows his whistle again to start them. Both Roger and George twist and tug and pull, but neither can execute a takedown. This seems to go on forever. Tugging pulling and grunting and grasping, then the loud whistle again. The energetic, energetic and piercingly attentive referee signals the end of the first period. The second of three periods begins. Roger drops down on his knees in the down position on all fours, and George on top places his hand around Roger's waist and the other on his elbow. As they stay perfectly still in what's known as referee's position, the whistle blows again and the crowd reignites with a scream. George grabs Roger's waist with his left hand and lifts Roger's right ankle with his right hand and rides his opponent tough. After about one minute of moving, tilting, sliding, and rolling to all parts of the mat, Roger quickly stands and is up and out. George twists his head and frowns with disappointment. The referee raises his finger to the sky. One point. Once again, they wrestle with all their enthusiasm and technique, but neither can execute a takedown. The referee now calls a whistle again, loud. There signals the end of the second period. The third period begins, and George is now in the down position. 
When the whistle blows, with his left arm, Roger breaks George's arm down so his chest hits the mat and squeezes him tightly around the waist with his right arm. Roger has the look of utter determination and George looks bothered and anxious. Roger continues squeezing and shoving and pulling until the two slide off the mat. Now extremely sweaty, they both wipe their brow as they return to the center. George is back on bottom again and Roger twists and jerks him like he wants seriously to put him on his back, but George continues to try desperately to stand. Suddenly, George gets one foot under him and presses upward, twists and runs away. The referee points to the sky. One point. The clock shows five seconds. Roger runs toward George and drops to his knee to reach for George's leg. George sprawls backward and the buzzer sounds. No takedown. The score is tied one to one. Both boys are breathing hard, standing in the center, peering at each other. The crowd is still cheering. The referee steps to the scorekeeper's table, has a word with the two men sitting there, and jogs back to the center. He grabs both boys' wrists, turns to the crowd, and raises George's arm. George offers a half-smile, and Roger looks at him ferociously. In honor of good sportsmanship, the two boys shake hands. They both, both wrestled very well in front of the visiting high school coaches and guests. Ultimately, their match is very close, but in the end, Roger's aggressiveness pushes George to the height of his ability. His family's experienced coaching would be enough to help George pull it out. Roger fought and grinded like a man on a mission, but George winds up winning the match by a score of 2-1. to one. He avoids a draw only because of a slight edge from his control and riding time. The match is simply amazing. First and second place trophies are awarded on center mat, and the crowd is still cheering uncontrollably and kicking the bleachers for even more noise. Roger and George walk to opposite sides of the mat. Roger is gathering himself from the excitement and the uh, exciting event, and with the sweat continually pouring, he is wiping his face, then removes the towel to see a large man standing in front of him. Tom Volts, 30 years old, the intense, beefy, dark-haired Franklin High School wrestling coach reaches out to shake hands. Roger reaches out as well. Coach Volts offers a comment. Nice match, kid. With wrestling like that, you could become a state champion someday. Roger's frowning but gracious. Thank you, he replies. He doesn't know this man, but he accepts his comment. The man speaks next. My name is Tom Volts. I'm the head wrestling coach for Franklin High. You'll be a freshman there next year, right? Roger offers an unenthusiastic response. Yeah. Volts continues. You plan to go out for wrestling? Roger answers this time with fire in his response. Yes, sir. Volts, now peering into Roger's eyes, offers his first coaching. Good. Then the first thing I want to tell you is, you don't have to be angry to win in wrestling. You wrestled mad tonight. I want to teach you how to wrestle smart. You keep going, kid. I'll see you at Franklin. Good night. Roger tilts his head as he watches Volts walk away. The night fades out, and the morning fades back in. The next day, when the wrestling recap appears in the local newspaper, there is a great close-up shot of them both locked in combat. The photograph shows Buggy wide-eyed and grimacing, which makes him look petrified. Roger's friends insist that the look on his face says it all. Buggy has the experience, but Bush has the attitude. From then on, like always, the boys from the neighborhood play every sport at the park often, but Buggy 
never wrestles again after that day. And as fate would have it, Muhammad Ali lost his first fight against Smoking Joe Frazier shortly after. Winning, losing, and learning. Here's one of my favorite definitions because I think it's the one that reaches down into the process of competing or striving for anything. Having learned and taught and competed and worked diligently on many tasks and worked closely with others who have done the same, I think I've learned this very simple life truth. To lose truly is to win. Certainly not every time, but surely some of the time along the way. We learn a tremendous amount from losing. We learn from failures, mistakes, adversity, and setbacks. How we begin to win is by moving forward with a positive attitude and strong work ethic and building the foundation for our next win. Without doubt or question, this is how success begins. Nobody wins every single time. Nobody. Especially in the beginning when you're learning and growing. Recognize this and move on. After lots of reflection and tons of experience, my humble suggestion is don't stop growing ever. Winning is great, sure. But if you are really going to do something in life, the secret is learning how to lose. Nobody goes undefeated all the time. If you can pick up after a crushing defeat and go on to win again, you are going to be a champion someday. Wilma Rudolph Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time!